Well, there was a young boy who was applying for his first job, and he was applying for the job of, to be an usher, like an attendant in a movie theater. And he had the good fortune of applying to a theater whose manager was really diligent about who he hired, and he was really selective in who he would hire to be an usher in his theater. And he would give them a manual, and he would require that they read it. And before they ever served in his theater, they would have to answer some questions. And so he sat the young man down across from him after he had ample time to study the manual, and he asked him several questions, and they were going through the questions, and he says, what do you do when someone brings their own candy into my theater? And how do you treat them? And what do you say? And what's the rules and regulations upon bringing candy outside food into a movie theater? And what do you do when they stand up in the middle of the theater and start talking? How do you handle that situation? And the young man had it all down. He was just nailing it. And so the, the manager looked at him and said, I think you're going to make a great candidate. I have one more question for you. He says, what do you do if a fire breaks out? He says, well, you don't have to worry about me. I'll get out. <laughs> and the manager's like, no, no, you're an usher. Your job is not just to get out, but to help other people get out. Jesus says that we who are his disciples are to go and make disciples of all nations, to help others get out. It's not just good enough that we get out. We're called to go and make disciples so that others get out. We're called to be ushers. That's our role as Christians. It's not just for my benefit. It's for the benefit of the whole world. Jesus says that he wants to use me, he wants to use you to do that, and that we can do that. But I know that's difficult, and I know it's awkward, especially in our culture today. It, it, especially in a culture that values tolerance above all things, except for those who aren't tolerant, and excludes people who don't believe in tolerance, which is kind of ironic and contradictory. But anyway, it's like, but that's our culture. And so we feel that pressure, because we don't want to be seen as arrogant or, or narrow-minded, you know, it's narrow-minded It's it's narrow minded to think that Jesus is the only way. How is it that you can believe that? And we say, well, it's what Jesus said. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you were around here back in last, this past January, we talked about this, about how Christianity is narrow. Because we do say Jesus is the only way. That is the truth claim of Christianity. But we also said that truth by its very definition is exclusive. In fact, all religions make a truth claim that excludes every other claim. Truth by its very definition is narrow because it excludes its opposite. But here's the other thing that we learned. Christianity is the most inclusive in its offer. Because it's not just for those who are good enough. It's not just for those who know enough. It's not just for those who are on the inside. The claim of the Christianity, the gospel offer of salvation from Jesus Christ is open to everybody. It is the most inclusive. It is narrow, but it's inclusive. But yet our culture makes it difficult. And so we would rather not say 
We would rather just show people with our lives, which we're called to do. We're called to live unhypocritical lives that our words match our actions, our actions match our words, which is why we're doing this challenge. To actually not just hear the words of Jesus, but actually to live those words out. You know, this quote is probably not from St. Francis Assisi. It's really attributed to him, but the heart behind it is good, that we should speak the truth. Our lives should speak the gospel, should be the truth of Jesus Christ. But at some point, we have to speak. We have to use our words. Peter said that when we speak, we should speak the words of God. But we should speak. It can't just be how we live. Peter said also, be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you the reason for the hope that you have. Your lives are to be a witness, but you're to speak about it and tell people why. So we can't just be okay with being silent Christians. We have to tell people about Jesus. We have to tell people about what he has done. But again, that's difficult because our culture has changed. Our culture has changed, and it's not so warm and welcoming to talk about Jesus or to share your faith. It's looked down upon, and more so and more so. In fact, we as Christians have, have caught that message. And we as Christians, those tasked with telling the world about Jesus, have, have kind of shrunken away from that task. In a recent survey conducted by the Barna Institute, and also it was commissioned by the Lutheran Hour Ministries to find out how, what's the state of our witness. And they discovered that we're kind of a reluctant witness, that we don't really like talking about it because we feel that pressure, either pressure outside or pressure inside, that maybe we don't feel equipped or willing or, or we don't know enough or it's awkward. In fact, what they found is less than less than. 26%, only 26% of us talk, have spiritual conversations with people more than 10 times a year. 74% have less than 10 conversations a year when it comes to spirituality with non-believers. We just don't want to talk about it. In fact, it goes on to say almost half, 44%, are going to avoid spiritual conversations if we feel we might be rejected, if people will look at us differently if people will sort of shy away from us or maybe exclude us from their circle. We're afraid of what people will think of us, and so we don't talk about it. And that's up from where it was 25 years ago. 33% of us felt that way 25 years ago, and it just keeps increasing. They also said that we're less likely to talk about the benefits of trusting Jesus. Those of you that believe in Jesus, have you experienced what Jesus has done for your life? But we don't talk about that. It says only half of us, 50%, bring up how good it is to follow Jesus. They go on to say that we're less likely to tell the story of how we ourselves began to trust Jesus. Only 45% of us talk about that, down from 57% just 25 years ago. We're reluctant to share our faith. We're reluctant to go into all the world and share the good news about Jesus Christ. But Jesus says that's our responsibility. In fact, he talked about it with great urgency. He said because he's coming back soon. 
Now, we know it's been a while. But he also said when he comes back, it'll be like the thief in the night. It will be when we don't expect it. But he is coming back. And when he comes back, those that do not believe in him, those who have rejected him, that day will be horrible. It would have been better for them had they not been born. And Jesus talks to his disciples and to us and says it's urgent that we share the good news of Jesus Christ because he is coming back. To kind of give you some urgency, I did some number crunching this week, looking at the statistics from the Census Bureau and some other Pew Forum and other surveying companies, and and here's what I found. Every day in the state of Illinois, 100 people die apart from a faith in Jesus Christ. Self-identified, not believing. Take the death statistics. 100 people a day in the state of Illinois die apart from a faith in Jesus Christ. Extrapolate that out to the world's population. 100,000 people die every single day apart from a faith in Jesus Christ. Our mission is extremely urgent because it's real. Jesus is coming back. And we're, we're good because he's made us good. But there are others that aren't. And he's called us to share that good news with them. He's called us to be ushers. And you know, sometimes that urgency causes us to do really crazy things like standing on the corners with bullhorns and, and signs and, and because we're afraid for them. But that really doesn't work. But you know what does work? One-on-one conversations. Still today, one-on-one conversations. The survey found that the youngest of our generations, the millennials that we think are are really walking away, are more receptive to one-on-one conversations than older generations. 53%, they would welcome someone to have a conversation about Christianity, about Jesus. The harvest is ripe. But the workers are few, Jesus said. And so that's why in this series, we're taking seriously this week in the challenge of going and sharing that news with the world. And I'm here to tell you this morning that every one of you that called Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, you are equipped to talk about it. You know enough to talk about it. And I would say you know more than enough to talk about it. And let me show you how I know that from today's text. If you have your Bibles, I'd ask you to open them up to John chapter 9, the word that you just heard read earlier by Emily. Jesus and his disciples are walking through Jerusalem. They're walking at the temple, and they encounter this man that was blind. In fact, we're told that he was born blind. He must have been known by many people. And so his disciples, seeing the man, asked Jesus, Rabbi, teacher, tell us, is it because of his parents sin that he was born blind, or is there something that he did that caused himself to be born blind? Like something he did in the womb. Is that why he was born blind? And there's confusion about sin and, and, and why this man is blind. And the rabbis taught from their interpretation of the Torah that it was because of the sin of their parents. If you were born blind, then it must be something your parents did because your children would be punished for your sin. But yet the prophets taught that each person is responsible for their own sin. 
And so his disciples are clearly confused, as we still are today about sin. You know, how much good can I do to overcome the sin that I had? And sin really isn't a thing. But Jesus said, no, that's not what happened. Jesus goes on to say, it's not his parents. It's not his sin. What you have to understand is this man was born blind for this purpose so that God would receive the glory. What Jesus is telling them and he's telling us is that it is God and God alone that can take care of sin. The problem isn't sin. The the, the, the solution is that Jesus Christ, something greater than sin, is here. And it's because of sin that Jesus has come into the world. It's because that people are born blind. It's because that sin is in the world and and causing people to die far sooner than God had intended and that there would be disease and death and all kinds of destruction. That is not God's plan, but now God's plan is that his son, the only one who can take care of sin, the only one who can open eyes, is here. And the only solution for sin is Jesus. That is why Jesus is here. And he says we have to continue that work of sharing that news that the Messiah has come. He said we to his disciples, not just Jesus, but we who are his disciples must continue that work because a time is coming when we're not going to be able to work any longer. There's urgency in Jesus' words. And so he looks down at the man, we're told. He spit in the ground, made some mud, put it on the man's eyes, and told the man to go wash in the pool at Siloam. And after doing that, the man went home seeing, no longer blind. Jesus didn't ask him, sir, would you like to see again? Jesus didn't require him to humble himself, or to confess anything. Jesus had compassion upon the man and healed him, just as he has had compassion upon the entire human race and died for the entire human race. Before anyone said, I'm sorry, before anyone said, I believe in you, before anyone said, Jesus, would you make me clean? Before anyone was good enough, Jesus died for everyone, every one of us. While we were still enemies, Jesus died for my sin. Jesus had compassion on the man as he's had compassion upon you. And he has opened your eyes. Jesus is the one true healer. Jesus can restore sight. Jesus can cause the blind to see. And we're told that after this, he goes home. And when he goes home, his neighbors and his friends see him. And they're looking at him and they're kind of befuddled because isn't this the guy that was blind? Isn't this the man that was born blind? Isn't this Joe? And Wasn't he blind? And other people were like, no, that just looks like Joe. That can't be Joe. And he's like, no, I'm Joe. 
And they're like, well, then tell us, how is it that you can now see? And he says, well, there was this man they called Jesus, and he made mud and put it on my eyes and told me to wash, and now I can see. He didn't stand there and go, well, you understand how the eye works? And can you understand the whole thing about how the retina gets reattached and how the properties in this mud could have like restored my sight and there was something special in his spit that he did none of that. He just said, the man put mud on my eyes, I washed my eyes and now I see. Well, how is that possible? I have no idea. All I can tell you is once I was blind, but now I see. Once, I was angry all the time. Now, I have calm. I have peace. Once, I, I worried constantly about my family. Now, I know he loves them more than, than I do. Once, they... It's like, really, you're the guy that used to play baseball all the time or softball all the time, and now you're doing this thing called small group instead? Why? Tell me, why is it you said you would never forgive your brother, and, and now, you, now you have? Why is that? And, and weren't you the one that said... All the church wants is your time and your money. And I told you that's all they wanted. And now here you are giving of your time and you're giving of your money. Why is that? Well, I, all I can tell you is once I was blind and now I can see. I, I, I met this man named Jesus and everything changed. I mean, you knew me before. You knew who I was before. You've seen the change you yourself just said. I'm different. How is that possible? What, when did that happen? What, what all happened? How, I can't explain it. All I can tell you is, I met this man named Jesus, and everything changed. Most of you have known me for most 25 years. And... Most of you know that this is a second career for me. And some of you know from stories I've told you about my life before I came here. And I can tell you I was once blind and now I see. And the people that could share that with you more, than, more truer than anybody else are the people that knew me before. It was several years ago, I went and played in a golf outing with some friends from college that knew me then. And we were all gathered together, and everybody's going, oh, what are you doing now? And, and what are you doing now? And, and then they come to me, and say, Tony, what are you doing now? And I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> this is going to go really good, you know? Okay, here's what I'm doing. And, and one friend of mine, Joe, looked at me and goes, well, something had to change. And I'm like, yeah, something did. And I got to talk about it. And I got to share what happened and why I made this decision and, and why that happened. And I didn't, ha I, I, I didn't have to go into any long theology about why it happened. When someone sees that your life has changed, all you need to share is, 
I met this guy named Jesus, and everything has changed. All we're called to be, Jesus says, is his witnesses. Just to witness with your own life what Jesus has done for you. You don't have to be a theologian. You don't have to have all the Bible memorized. You don't have to quote verse, and you don't have to be able to just call it up at any moment. All you need to share is your story about how your life has changed. Because if you believe in Jesus Christ, and I know some of you, you have magnificent stories, and you think they're not, but they are. They're beautiful stories about how God has restored sight. And all we need to do is share it, because he says, guess what? You've got the Holy Spirit living in you. It's not just dependent upon you. When you speak, God speaks with you. And he does miraculous things with your testimony if you will just trust him. And I know it sounds simple, and I know it sounds silly. Kind of silly is just going and washing in a pool. But he promises to use your testimony to help others if you'll just trust him. And he knows it's a challenge. He knows it's difficult. But he knows what can come from it. You know, this man went and testified before the Pharisees, and, and he kept saying, they kept asking, well, why is it you see? Why is it you see? So, this man named Jesus, he made me clean. And they didn't like that answer, and so they threw him out. Jesus knew that would happen, and after he was thrown out, Jesus found the man. Because the man didn't know he was Jesus. He knew the man's name was Jesus, but he had no idea who he was. Jesus finds the man. And now gives him spiritual sight. He gives him faith to believe. And he has mercy on the man. And he loves the man. And shares the news about what God has done for him. And that it was God that did that for him. Jesus knows the challenge in our culture. He sees it. He's not surprised by it. And he says, you, every single one of you that called him your Lord and Savior, you with broken lives, you with like crazy backstories, he can use you to help others. He can use your testimony because he finishes this way to remind us it is urgent. It's urgent. He says because he's coming back and he will judge the world at that time and those that are not believing in him, it will be better for them had they not been born. And we can't, just like that young usher, say, well, don't worry about me. We must take this seriously. Because Jesus is coming again. And here's the other thing. You have no idea. You have no idea the power of your testimony. You have no idea how Jesus will use your testimony to make a difference in thousands of lives that come after you. But Jesus knows. He knows exactly whom your testimony will affect and who will come to faith through you. He knows that. You may not know that, but he knows that. And one day we'll get to celebrate together and share those stories. You've heard me talk about this man, Robbie Zacharias, and I know some of you know him and follow his ministry. 
He's a man that grew up in India, and he became a Christian at the age of 17 and started devoting his life to Jesus Christ and sharing that news around the world with all who would listen. He's been doing that for 56 years. And he's done it almost in every country on the planet. And in his book, this is his autobiography, Walking from East to West, he tells his story that maybe some of you don't know. But see, he was a young man who grew up in India, the son of a man who in our culture, would have been, his dad would have been like the assistant secretary of state for India at the time. That's sort of the position his dad held. And, and Ravi was his son, and it was a horrible relationship between he and his father. And, and Ravi was really depressed and, and really anxious about his life, and he couldn't find any purpose. He's third from the left in that picture. And he had no purpose in life. And he sought purpose, and he looked at different religions and different faiths. He looked at Hinduism, he looked at Buddhism, he looked at Christianity, and explored Christianity. And at the age of 17, he concluded that life has no purpose, and it wasn't worth living. And so he swallowed a bunch of poison, attempting to kill himself. And if it weren't for one of the servants in the household who found him in the bathroom that day, he would have killed himself. But he was rushed to the hospital, and he was nursed back to health. And it was while he was in the hospital, that man on the end, on the left there, is a man named Fred David, who Ravi had met once or twice because he'd attended one of his gatherings for Youth for Christ. Fred David walks into the hospital room, and he talks to his mom because he wasn't, Ravi wasn't strong enough to speak. And he talked to his mom, and he handed Ravi's mom a Bible. And he opened it up to John chapter 14, and he read these words, and Ravi heard those words, and he said, of Jesus, because I live, you also will live. And he left, and it was later on that Ravi's asking his mom, he's like, Mom, who is that speaking in, in, that, in that text? Who is that speaking? And she says to him, it's Jesus that's speaking. And he's laying there listening to these words again, and he said, these words that said, because I live, you also will live, there was some power to that. And, and there seemed to be a life that he had yet to experience, but yet there was a promise that seemed to be open to him. And so he prayed a prayer. He said right there in the hospital that, Jesus, if this is true, if you are this person and this life is available to me, make yourself known to me and I will spend the rest of my life sharing that news, pursuing that truth. And he's done that for 56 years. sharing a simple story about how his life changed because of this one man's witness. Fred David had no idea the impact of that day, but God did. You have no idea the impact of your witness on this world, but God does. And he says that he can use you to change the world. He can use you to help other people get out safely. You need but trust him. This week in the challenge, as you take up the challenge of going and sharing with your mouth and your life the good news of Jesus Christ, I want to encourage you. For Jesus' sake, I want to encourage you to be bold. It's not going to be easy, and some people will look at you strange when you out yourself. Some people will question you. And some people will ask you, how is it that you've come to believe this? I mean, I've seen this in your life, but I, I haven't asked you before, but why is it? 
and you have an opportunity to be a witness. I pray you take that opportunity this week. I pray that you will trust Jesus with your life, with your witness, and just sit back and, and marvel at what he will do with your life to change the world. I pray you take that seriously this week. I pray we all do that so one day we can talk about this again. In Jesus' name, amen.